Hey there, beautiful people, and welcome to Articulating, a bi-weekly podcast that explores equity and inclusion in independent school education. My name is Gina Parker-Collins, and I am founder of Resources in Independent School Education, also known as RISE. And I'm Sam Osborne, a RISE advisor and independent school alum. And now for part two. We're back today with Dr. Hope Rias discussing Black faculty turnover and what schools can do about it. Follow us on Instagram at Articulating. That's Artic period Ulating. Thanks for listening. It should happen that schools should hire more than one. I am not sure that this school ever hired another Black woman after I left. I do not know of any, no, and I'm still affiliated. It should look like offering support, the same support that white men get is what we should be getting. Hmm. I read, I in preparation for this, because I didn't want to embarrass myself, um, I read Black Women Ivory Tower. Have you heard of the book? It's by Jasmine oh, yes. Harris. Uh-huh. She describes her experiences. She was Vassar undergrad. She's um, a professor now, a PhD like yourself. Um, and she uses the term violent a lot to describe mm-hmm. her experiences in higher education as a student and as a professor. Violence. It was a violent space. Mm-hmm. And it's my first time hearing that. But mm-hmm. I didn't push back at all. I didn't disagree. It. Mm-hmm feels violent. And what Claudine Gay experienced, what you experienced is violence. And Mm -hmm. literally like to go to an institution like that every single day, and you are literally under attack, like, you know, the heart races, you're, you feel in danger, you feel unsafe and you feel isolated. And it's a slow burn as someone shared with me. It's a slow burn. burn. And then on top of that, you have, you know, out of self-preservation, as Gina used, you decide to leave. And now the school is less. I I don't know if you felt any guilt when I told you you abandoned us, but, you know, that continued violence and you have to, you know, unfold yourself from that trauma. Right. So um, in, in my book, I use the sociological term symbolic violence. So no one was physically assaulting me. Actually, I Mm -hmm. was physically assaulted in school as a young person by a white male. But Uh. um, symbolic violence is what happens when we ignore our Black students, when we don't trust our Black faculty's experiences. I used to tell people things that would happen to me like, I went to the same grocery store that everybody else goes to and I get followed around by security in the fruit aisle. And people would Mm -hmm. say, I don't know anybody who's had that. Well, yeah, because you don't, of course not. So um, I use the term symbolic violence. Um, I will say I did feel, I, I was very sad to leave you all. And I wasn't just sad to leave the Black students. I was sad to leave everybody because I, well, not the students who caused me uh, to go. I was not sad to leave them, but I was sad to leave 
because I knew that I was contributing something that someone else probably was not going to. But I also believe that you have to know when to leave the battlefield. That for me is biblical. There are times when God calls us to fight and there are times when the scripture says, and God gave us rest from war. I needed rest from war. And so when I left your school, I actually left New York because I knew all the independent schools would have very similar issues. Hmm. And um, I went to work at an all black charter school in Indianapolis. And for several years, it was just heaven. And then when it wasn't heaven, I made a transition again. But I, I think it's important to realize that Black people are resilient. And so even though we have these experiences, whether they are violent or we call them symbolically violent, we know how to take care of ourselves. We know how to go get our hair done and chat it up with our hairdresser and let all of that stress out. And when she's washing our hair, I'm going tomorrow, when she's washing our hair, she's literally washing away some of the stress and the angst that we've been under. We know how to get together with our girlfriends and meet up for coffee and just let it out. We have those kitchen table conversations when, when we're the only ones around and we can say whatever we want. I used to be a runner when I was in New York and I would get out of work and I would go running and totally decompress. So mm. I don't want to frame this as if if we're just victims and there's nothing we can do. There's a lot that we do. And when those things that we do don't work, we vote with our feet. Sometimes the most powerful thing we can say is, no, I am not tolerating this anymore. And that's what you're seeing. And so I don't know that I would be sad about the mass exodus of Black women from independent schools. I think if independent school leaders are smart, they will see the writing on the wall and realize that if they want to retain quality faculty, they're the ones who have to change. We're not the ones who have to change because we were never the problem. You talked earlier about parent power. That can be for good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think about the work that RISE has done in independent schools to make sure that parents of color in particular have voice and visibility, they understand their power, because I think oftentimes they don't recognize that they have just as much power if it's, you know, not the same, you know, on a financial level, certainly they have the cultural capital, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how we can be of support to faculty of color. Oftentimes we don't know about the, the loss until it happens, mm -hmm. right? But that I think is our responsibility to to wrap our arms around faculty of color as soon as we see them. And is that extra labor? Is that extra work? Um, some people might consider that it, but you know, for me, it is ensuring that my students have mirrors in the classroom. Um, their their peers have windows in the classroom to see mm -hmm. diverse ex, you know perspectives, to have diverse thought from educators with expertise. We as black and brown parents can make sure that we hold on to our educators of color and make sure that our schools understand our demands and supporting them. I don't know. I feel a bit cynical right now. You know, we can have our demands. Parents can go to administrators, everything. I think the at the peak of DEI, racial justice in independent schools was, of course, you know, 2020. 
Um, and unfortunately, I see a lot of that unraveling. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, Claudine Gay is an echo of Nicole Hannah-Jones, of yes. Angela Davis, of, you know, Famous so many. Miller at Hamlin University. I do not know who that person is. I'm going to look them up. But, and But so many more that do not have names mm -hmm. that aren't, you know, front page New York Times. And I just can't help but feel like this is a cycle. And mm -hmm. I just don't know what it's going to take to break the cycle. Well, I think you're right. It's a cycle. Uh, Black people worked very hard in the 50s and the 60s trying to push for rights. And those rights did not come quickly. And so what has happened is we have had uh, a bit of progress and we had some time and some of us made it into really good schools and made good lives for ourselves. And now the cycle has turned against that. And I think you're right to be cynical for right now. I think we are in a very difficult time. And so it might very well be that, that we're in a cycle where we are not going to get a lot of progress. Our, our country is trying very hard to move backwards, which is why I think Claudine Gay is no longer the president of Harvard. Uh, people with power are trying to conserve the old way. And so what you're feeling, I think, is because there's a lot of energy that is being put into pushing back the clock. We are going to have to work and be strategic probably for the next decade and a half before we get back to progress. That's what our ancestors did. Um, one of the things that I heard Ta-Nehisi Ta Coates say, someone asked him, how on earth did we get Donald Trump after Barack Obama? And he said, because democracy is fragile. And that's what I've learned from all of this, that democracy is fragile. And if people opt out of it, we're in trouble. We really hmm. do have to be very consistent and it requires all hands on deck uh, in order for us to make progress for, for our country and our world. In these next 10 years, we're going to have um, new fac new Black women educators, Black educators. There's going to be students, you know, looking to um, pursue independent school education. Um, question for both of you, actually, since you're both um, HBCU alumni, in that in this period of friction, of tension, might we need to consider exiting predominantly white spaces for our safety? I always thought HBCUs were a good idea. Um, my spirit was fed for four years at Spelman and it was not easy. Uh, my professors were very hard. I did not float through college. I, I worked my face off and it was an incredible challenge, but they gave me the tools. I would say that choosing to go to an HBCU was the single best decision I ever made in terms of setting me up for success in my life. I think a lot of people are doing what you just said. They are exiting these schools and choosing to look for safety. And I think it's a very individual decision. 
I don't know that I would be right to tell anybody else what they need to do for their own spirit and, and to protect themselves. What I have decided, I am at a PWI right now, and I'm actually very happy there. I think, uh, at least so far, it seems to be a place where people are putting their money where their mouths are. Thank you for that. You know, I, I, I believe that when it comes to higher education, we do have options. We have mm-hmm. our IV HBCUs, and we hosted an event last night, a fireside chat, the HBCU experience, and what a void, Sam, that filled. I cannot tell you how many folks that were either in the room or live streamed said- If you do that again, I would love to participate. Oh, well, we let me tell you some folks want us to like take it on the road. We have a- um, mm-hmm. a, a team, Jackie Nelson, who heads up DEI, Equity and Inclusion at St. Luke's School. Um, we have Adrian Bryant, who heads up HBCU. Yes, his children went to St. Luke's and his daughter chose to go to Howard, mm-hmm. his alma mater. And so we talked about the it factor, you know, it being a, a place of refuge, the Black yeah. experience um, that many of our independent school alum who, of which we had some cameos last night of independent school uh, mm-hmm. alum who went on to HBCU. So we have that we have that option there. But what about the K through 12 experience and speaking with independent school moms who have decided, you know what, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of my children being one of a few being part of that numerical minority. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm tired of not having enough educators of color to mm-hmm. to not only be there for all children, but certainly for my children, to leave, to only have to come back because the caliber of education anywhere else is Mm -hmm. not meeting their standards. Mm -hmm. So what do we do K through 12? You know, we have our affinity spaces. I'd like to think that RISE is encouraging families to Mm -hmm. really speak up and know their their power and ask for what it is that they need from administration. Um, Until we build our own independent schools, I I just don't know what the alternative is. So I don't know what Black people need to do. What I was saying earlier was my job now is to really encourage white educators to step up and take on this fight. This is not something that we should be fighting. I can remember students complaining bitterly that it took me a long time to grade their papers. And and they were right. But that was because I was running to meetings and I was hosting things and I was supporting people and somebody was crying on my shoulder. And then I still had to do the same work that all of my colleagues were doing. Mm -hmm. And it was too much. And it was actually working against me because, you know, if I got a negative evaluation because I wasn't getting things done on time, Nobody cared that it was because I was doing more work than a lot of other people. So I think that's why we really need peers. We need for white educators to step up and join this fight. And that's really my focus now. Mm -hmm. It is all of these white teachers who are sitting back telling me, oh, I'm just so thankful for the new perspective you showed. Okay, sister, now you better jump in here and get some stuff done because there are more of you than there is of me. And I can't carry this load by myself. And so I think about all of the students that I have taught in my, I calculated the other day, I think I've been teaching now for 28 years. Um, How many of those students are now active in supporting diversity, equity, Mm. and inclusion? 
they need to be the ones like all of my work was not, you know, it was not for nothing. Like they know better. Once you know, you can't unknow. And so, so it should be on them to, to pick up the mantle. I, I believe um, a lot more students because of educators like you are, we keep saying the next generation has us. Like they, they see things differently than their parents mm-hmm. do. That their parents who are holding on to conservative ways, holding on to what was great about America, you know, 30 years ago. Right. I'm hopeful and I'm excited. I feel mm-hmm. like more of our graduating independent school kids, black and white and Latinx are advocates. They are very vocal about Mm -hmm. what's right and what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And they're holding us accountable. They're Mm -hmm. holding us accountable. But for sure, um, Eddie Moore Jr. wrote the book, uh, Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., The Guide for White Women Who Teach Black Boys. And then Mm -hmm. there's an addendum for, and it's an anthology book. So there are a lot of um, different authors contributing to it. But, you know, Toni Morrison said, you know, leave me out of it. This is your problem. This is something that you have to fix. And I agree for our own well-being, our Mm -hmm. self-preservation, in order for us to stay in this game, we're going to have to shift some of this responsibility Mm -hmm. and and hold people accountable for it. There's um, so many uh, Black educators entering the independent school space that were students themselves. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice for them as far as um, determining if an institution is the right one for them? What should they be looking for? What should they be asking? What should they be demanding? Well, I I, I might fall down on this one uh, because I think, I think when you're interviewing, people show you their best face. And in the interview process, everybody's going to say, of course, we value DEI and look at our mission statement. And mm-hmm. you you never really know until you get in that relationship. Um, one thing that I am learning, uh, and this has to do as much with me being a woman as it does me being a person of color. Get things in writing. I did a lot of work that was not in my contract. Now, I happened to work for a principal who really valued me and really showed me that he valued me. But I could have just as easily have been doing that work without any, you know, type of compensation or extras or anything. I recently uh, I'm actually in a, a bitter situation right now where I volunteer to help a colleague with a research project. And I found out that the other people are not volunteers. They're being paid. I was the only one who was volunteer. And when I confronted him, his response was, well, you didn't negotiate that. Technically, he's right. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, morally, he's very Mm -hmm. wrong. Uh, But our male colleagues... Our white male they negotiate peers from from jump learn how to negotiate a contract. And what I'm realizing is that as women, we are often taught to be so helpful that we give our yes very easily. And then when we find out later what that yes will cost us, we're locked in because we gave our word. And so mm. I would say before you take a job at an independent school. Ask them, 
what your duties and responsibilities will be and ask them to put them in writing. Now, that's that's a little difficult in independent schools because everybody is doing unpaid labor. That's kind of one of the specialties of independent schools is that they get you in and you get lots of flexibility, but then you do a whole lot extra. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I said I might fall down on this question. Independent schools are just kind of a really unique space. Mm-hmm. Um, you get tons think- of resources to do a lot more work. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. They, right? they have resources to work you to death. Um, <laughs> and, and there are lots of, of teachers in independent schools. And this is male, female. This is regardless of race who are doing a lot extra. But I would say if you know you're carrying this load as being the only and you're going to have a lot of emotional work, as much as you can articulate for your paid contract, write down and sign a contract as much as you can. If you are expected to be a mentor, get that in the contract and ask what is the stipend? How many meetings per week? I used to have parents who would call me and if parents didn't get off of work until six o'clock, school might have gotten out at 2.15, but I would still be sitting there until six o'clock because I know this mom needs to talk to me. She's coming from the Bronx. I am not going to ignore her. Nobody was paying me for that time. And so, so I think if you can articulate the terms of your contract very clearly and figure out what work is supposed to be paid and the things that are not supposed to be paid, I'm, I'm not opposed to doing things. We, we Teachers do things for their students that are not in a contract and that we don't get paid for. That's kind of the nature of being a teacher. But I also think that it opens the door for a lot of abuse, um, especially because it's a feminized job. And so people are happy to take advantage of women who, who are caring and want to do more and and who are willing. And so I think if we can avoid being taken advantage of by getting things written into our contracts, that's a really good start. What is it that we can do to better support you? So um, I would like to plug my book and I have a book chapter coming out in April. So the book is called St. Louis School Desegregation, Patterns of Progress and Peril. And I take a look at Michael Brown. Uh, This is the last chapter of the book. I take a look at Michael Brown, who was killed while I was doing my research. Michael Brown went to the same high school that all of my uncles went to in Mm. St. Louis, suburb outside of St. Louis. I went to school 15 minutes away from his school. I ended up with a PhD. He ended up the way that he did. The difference is the border that was drawn around our schools, my school participated in DSEC, his never did. And look at how different our lives turned out. The book chapter is coming out in April. uh, There's a book coming out called um, 25 Myths About Schools. And mine is the myth that schools desegregated in 1954. So, um, so that book will be out in April and it, it is an anthology. There are several of us who contributed to this book. So that will be coming out. And I would love to come back and talk about that one when it's out. Please. Absolutely. Yes. And I thank you so much. I, it's such, thank you, Sam, for 
she was so excited. And after I read mm-hmm. your bio, I'm like, I'm so excited. So oh my goodness. I, I hope, Gina, that we can reconnect at some point. When COVID is no longer uh, threatening my life, I will come down to New York City. Um, I just but like- But you're up in- we're, I'm near city. Albany. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we can come up that way too. You never yeah. know. Or we can meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, that's okay. what Samantha said. And until I then, we have, we have Zoom. Until yeah. then, we have Zoom. I, okay. Zoom. I had proposed Kingston. I like Kingston. Oh, I love Kingston. Oh, we could go. Oh, I've never I'm been there. I've never I been love to Houston. Houston. What's oh, there? Sam, yeah, let's do it. If you enjoyed listening to this discussion, please pass it on to a friend. And don't forget to hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Articulating. That's Artic, period, you lading. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.